We all have big dreams, but far too often we never give them a chance to come true. Well, that all changes today. Welcome to Just Keep Learning, where we'll help you develop the right mindset, be more productive, and learn more effectively so you can accomplish anything. Here's your host, Justin at Just Tries. Our guest today is one of those people who really has it all figured out, but is willing to share that there were many ups and downs. And in reality, do any of us ever have it all figured out? We can see the successes with building a business, podcast, and social media, but it was a grind early on and took a ton of self-reflection and self-care to get there. As a psychologist, he has a lot to share about the battle between mental health and illness that many entrepreneurs face, and he gives us a bunch of great ideas for succeeding in business while maintaining your mind and body along the way. Please welcome to Interview 55, Mel. First off, I want to say thank you so much for doing this episode today because I know that we're all busy people in the world of creators. I also know that you're a fellow girl dad and for us, our time is really important. I think is just the best way to say it. So first off, thank you so much for doing this. One of the ways that I like to allow people to start an episode, even though we go into a million different topics, is just a self-introduction because I really love allowing people to introduce themselves because a lot of times people tell our stories on social media and online business. So if I were to ask you, who are you and kind of what you do, what would you say? Great question. Um, yeah. So I usually like to start with, you know, I'm, I'm a husband. Uh, we've been married for 11 years, uh, together for 13 uh, girl dad, uh, as we as we shared. So we've got a, a four-year-old. And I shared those, f- those two things initially because those two identities forced me to think about how, how I want to design my business. And the things that I focus on are all contingent upon spending as much time I can with my partner and with our daughter and with our you know friends and families. So uh, by training, I'm a psychologist. So I have a PhD in psychology. Uh, And I imagined in 2012 when I got licensed that I would be teaching at a university, uh, working at a counseling center, eventually becoming a training director, probably doing a little bit of private practice on the side. But I took a very different route and uh, it hasn't been easy. I mean, you, you know this as a fellow creator, but in many ways, I am just so grateful for it because I feel like I'm honoring the kid Mel and what the kid Mel would have wanted. And uh, it's an incredible privilege. And so I specifically work with fellow therapists um, who are transitioning from clinical work, um, often in private practice, to online income. And specifically, I focus on online courses and podcasting because that's the stuff that I've been living and breathing here for the past eight years. Right. And you mentioned the kid Mel and what the kid Mel would have wanted. I'd love to hear you elaborate on that if you put that. It doesn't need to be overly poetic, but maybe it will be because talking about our younger selves is a pretty special thing to honor. So when you say that, what do you mean? Yeah, it's a great question. So I I was born in India and um, our family's from Kerala, India, which is like the southwesternmost state. And our family immigrated in the late 80s to the US. So practically up until first grade, I lived in India and the kid Mel spent a lot of time in India. And, you know, I specifically spent a lot of time with my maternal grandparents who were both retired teachers. And my grandfather took up farming and raising honeybees and all of this stuff in retirement. And so they lived in this house and uh, they had a couple of acres and they planted rubber trees. And I remember like picking mushrooms out of like this little one section because it would just get a lot of moisture in that area. I would watch my grandfather you know, get the, get the honey, get the actual honeycombs out, you know, use, you know, put on his whole, uh, you know, his whole suit and use this like knife to cut the uh, honeycomb to get the fresh honey out and all of these stories. And so that's what the kid Mel grew up with, seeing a lot of being out in nature. My grandparents also, they lived when there wasn't like proper refrigeration. So I remember they had this back storage room uh, near where my grandma cooked and it's where they stored grain and it's also where they had a bunch of tools and 
I don't know what motivated them to do this because I think about, you know, having a four-year-old, but they gave me access to like tools. I mean, it wasn't like hammers. It was like saws and nails and all sorts of stuff. And so, I mean, here I am at like age four and five, like, you know, putting holes into walls and they didn't seem to care and making stuff out of wood and sawing stuff. And that's the kid Mel. Like I have I have an initial, and there's a picture that I, I, my parents sent me fairly recently, and it's me on a step with this like saw. And again, it's not even stuff that we would think about in the U.S., but literally they had a like a craftsman come in and make their tools for them. So it was like made out of wood with like this little piece of metal. And here I am like using this saw to like you know saw up wood. And the kid Mel, I think, is. imaginative, innovative, uh, doesn't like being, I think, constrained too much, I think, like, really thrives on creativity. And the interesting thing, Justin, is that, like, psychology, in many ways, it is a very innovative field. I mean, when I was doing clinical work, I saw hundreds and did thousands of clinical hours where I heard so many stories. I mean, just the range of things, and there's just such a creativity there. But I felt like what was missing in psychology for me was, I don't know, this this kid Mel just couldn't get fully tapped for whatever reason. And so that's what inspired my my journey into online business. Which is really special. And I said it didn't have to be overly poetic, but I, I think it was, especially when you got into the descriptive words. You mentioned the idea of psychology being innovative. And it's interesting because I too work in, I think the largest, I think it's the largest research mental health hospital in the country here. And uh, I see youth in, in that building. And I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist by trade, although that was a lot of what I did in my undergraduate studies. So we have some similarities there, but I do see people really trying to advance things. Again, it's a research facility, so there's a lot of that work. I completely agree. What I also see is that a lot of the youth who are there really, really, really didn't fit into the regular school system. And that's something I would say darn near 100% of them that are struggling there with mental illness. Really, the kind of mainstream school wasn't for them. All this to say and ask, what was your school journey like for you? Because obviously you did make it through somewhat of a traditional route, even though you were the type that doesn't want to be constrained. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it is kind of this interesting juxtaposition that I walk because, you know, like, as I shared earlier, our, our family immigrated to the US. And so I have a younger sibling. And I remember hearing early on that a, a big reason why my parents, my dad was a was an attorney in India and my mom was a nurse. And a big reason why, why they immigrated was just better educational opportunities for my brother and I. So in a weird way, and maybe not a weird way, but I felt like this pressure of I didn't want to mess up, right? I didn't want to fail them because they left aunts and uncles, their own parents, and careers, right, just for our sake. And it was a tremendous amount of pressure looking back, but I think it also forced me to a weird way like conform. My original route was I was going to go to med school and go into pediatrics. And then I took OCHEM and I was like, good gosh, I cannot handle this. Yeah. So I don't know, there is something with psychology, even though, you know, I really thrive on creativity, there was something innovative with psychology. Um, just the way the mind thinks, just the way, I mean, the human experience, right, at the core of it, uh, that was really challenging and fulfilling. And why did I get a PhD? Uh, I don't know, maybe part of it was I didn't want to like, like disappoint my parents. Uh, a part of it was, I don't know, this is probably a whole other conversation, you know, like, and not to like overly stereotype, but particularly in South Asian communities, you know, what perception of the minimum is very different. My minimum was like a master's degree. And I I often wonder about that, like, because I traditionally made it right. But what happens when you have kids that maybe just not like academically interested or gifted, whatever it is, right? Like what happens in that situation? But yeah, I don't know. In a weird way, like I'm also grateful for it because the PhD has enabled me to have a launching pad. It builds a credibility, right? Yeah, and that's what was kind of in the back of my mind as you were reflecting on why the PhD. It's really interesting. I feel like I, I didn't do my PhD 
I, I took two thesis courses during my master's in education. And in one case, again, focusing on educational psychology, I found myself three times sitting in professors' offices who had a ton of credibility and, you know, 30, 40 year careers who would have been great advisors and mentors and talking about whether or not I should start my PhD. The last time I was there, actually, my whole thesis, so to speak, idea was that we could teach beyond the classroom walls and that it will improve mental health by finding ways to do so. The edutainment concept, right? So creating, here we go, audio, writing, and film to help students learn instead of sitting in rows in a classroom. Kind of a cliche thing that you see a lot of online business creators talking about these days. But for me, it was very real and I wanted to like study it. And, you know, so she, she was very interested. She asked me questions for upwards of an hour. And at the end of the hour, she goes, you'd be so much better off doing this without me, without these classroom walls. And that was a powerful moment because this is someone in the institution of university who's like, if you go do this now, instead of all the constraints we have here, you're probably going to be more successful. Hence the podcast. <laughs> and so that's this is my version of that. Um, but I did do a lot of school, obviously, having completed the master's or almost starting the PhD. But in terms of the formal piece, it was hard to kind of do both. So that was why I sort of jump ship, so to speak, in that world of psychology quickly, because I feel like as you continue to grow as a creator, your brand becomes about entrepreneurship, online courses, business, of course, parenting. But I'm sure there's still a part of you that can bring a ton of expertise to people from your psychological background. What are some of the things in that world you think, along with the innovation that's going on, still need to be improved or things that you learn from psychology that you take with you now as a parent and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, so this area that you're talking about is something that I've been actively thinking about. So I think one immediate area is the intersection of entrepreneurship and mental health. You know, there's that like pretty famous study, I think what like 67 or 72 percent of entrepreneurs have at some point like a diagnosable mental health condition, right? So one of the things I want to speak more, you know, and particularly because for me, like I have some pretty significant childhood trauma. I've dealt with depression and anxiety for most of my life. And I want to talk more about that. Uh, one, maybe like part of it is my own healing, but I think the other part of it is just to normalize that what we see on social media is a glimpse of people's lives. It is not the whole of people's lives. And I think especially those of us who have been doing this for a while, personally for me, like I feel like one of the biggest responsibilities that we have toward other creators is to share a more holistic perspective on things, especially when you intersect creator economy, entrepreneurship, mental health, a lot of creators starting out, right? They see all, they have these sort of models that they're looking to, but those models, I think many times emphasize the successes, but they don't talk about the compromises that they're making and they don't talk about what's happening behind the scenes, right? And I think that's a really, it's an important conversation to have also related to like continuing to destigmatize mental health. I mean, it's just something I feel really passionate about. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to talk more about that, you know, because I mean, we're podcasters, right? And great courses. And yeah, I can talk tactics and strategy and stuff that's worked for me. But the hardest thing, Justin, honestly, for me has been like when the depression kind of hits or when I feel like the anxiety is so bad. I, I didn't record the first episode for almost like four months. And a part of it was I just like the anxiety kicked up the perfectionism. And I ended up recording that first episode, I think seven times, because I just, I kept saying, oh, there's an um there. There's an ah there. You're not going to sound credible. Yeah, at the risk of this becoming a back and forth personal conversation that we need to turn the camera off and stop recording. This is a great example, I suppose, of being vulnerable and, and, and leaning into sharing those sides of it. I can relate so much with both the anxiety and depression, especially anxiety, and especially as a teenager, having a panic disorder and panic attacks to as, as bad as I've seen with the youth that I now work with in the world of, of struggling with mental illness and could tell many stories about what that was like. So the main thing that I would like to say is that 
I don't know if I can say I'm proud of you, but I really appreciate how you have continued to get up and keep going because I'm I'm sure sometimes it was even more difficult than you can kind of put into words. One of the things for me that that's tough when it comes to the the vulnerability and sharing is just literally time management when things are a bit of a side hustle because I am as open a book as they come. And if I had a D-Rock, like a filmmaker follow me around and asking me prompts or someone who was creating on my behalf, I was able to share. I'm sure it would be up there with the most authentic and vulnerable that anybody could be. But I find, okay, I can get a post out today. I really want to help people with starting their podcast. And so it becomes, it's hard to have all of it, you know? One of the things that you mentioned was the idea, though, of anxiety and depression. I, I think you said uh, mental illness diagnosis when it comes to being an entrepreneur. I'm fascinated by the question whether it's a chicken or an egg challenge as well. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on personality types, entrepreneurship, and how that mixes with mental health. Yeah, it is truly a chicken or egg. I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's no clear cut answers on this. But I suspect for a lot of us, we've had some fairly significant childhood trauma where we have felt like we weren't enough and we had to prove ourselves to others. And I think there's something about entrepreneurship that both caters to that sort of rebellious side of us, right? Like the, you know, forget you kind of part. And there's something to entrepreneurship that really energizes us and feels like, you know, we may be able to do this. And yet there is this other side of entrepreneurship or our own past trauma that inevitably intersects and creates doubt and fear and all of these things. Side note from that, I think in generally in entrepreneurship, I'm kind of curious, I'm curious to hear how you think about this. Um, the nature of entrepreneurship is that it is very up and down. And I feel like when you have a very up and down sort of profession with someone that's already has mental health issues or mental health concerns, I just feel like it's a world that you have to delicately walk, you know, for me personally, like, and I'm not there at all on this, but I'm just coming to the realization that, and I've done a lot of work and I'm doing a lot of work through therapy and brain spotting and all of this stuff on my trauma. And yet I feel like it is, it's in my, it's so deep ingrained in me that there may be certain things that I can't do that other people can do in terms of entrepreneurship, right? Like, so a practical thing, right? Uh, threads just came out and everybody's like, get on threads. And I know it's already really hard for me to, to do a podcast was really hard to write, start writing on LinkedIn this year was hard. YouTube feels extremely vulnerable. And I feel like I'm at my max. Like I can just intuitively tell. And I'm like, I could do threads, but I know where this is going. This is going to lead to burnout. It's going to lead to bouts of insomnia and all of these things. And is that worth the trade-off? You know, that's the bigger question. It's not about followers or the influence. I mean, and maybe, I don't know, part of this is just the wisdom of, you know, age and also, you know, becoming parents, right? You just have to figure out what you want to prioritize and, and you have to kind of let go of the fact that you can't do it all. For sure. For me, a lot of those things, when people ask something like, oh, do you wish you had kind of quote unquote blown up sooner or that the podcast was more successful earlier or that you have done more episodes or you've created more content, you had more followers, all these kinds of things, results oriented thinking. It's maybe just a coping mechanism, but for me, it's definitely super helpful to realize that becoming a parent, and in my case, in a really unique way, having adopted through uh, foster care, which obviously was somewhat sudden as well, and going through the parts of my career that I did and all these things in early adulthood that prepared me for scenarios that may come up as a social media creator, for me, again, with the mental health struggles, was extremely helpful. I think that it built a foundation to then be able to be vulnerable on top of. And had I done this stuff 15 years ago, I feel like it may have led to way worse than burnout. Who knows? We'll never truly know. But I'm grateful for the, as you put it, wisdom or experiences that have, you know, kind of put me in a position to be able to deal with anything out there. You know, hateful comments or, you know, posting a video and getting zero views and not feeling like I need to take it down. Um, being able to create a video and recognize that maybe one person listens or 10 or 10,000 and either way, that's okay. Those sorts of things, I don't feel like I would have been equipped with those tools 15 years ago. And so I'm happy to have started a little bit late. 
But one thing that I would really like to ask you, and, and it may be tough to recall or specifically name things, but I know that in some way it will at least be helpful to people. As you put it earlier too, there's no right answers that I get that. But if you were to explain some of the things that you think help you keep going with anxiety and still being a creator, as you put it, in a field that's very up and down, what are those things that you feel like if we could bottle them or put them in a, in a, a tutorial that you feel like help you keep going? Oh, it's a, um, I think a couple of things. So one is, I get a little nerdy really quick, but uh, I literally created an Excel document of my schedule of my ideal or my dream schedule. And I put the stuff that I wanted to be doing unrelated to entrepreneurship into that first. And then I built entrepreneurship around that. So that was like one thing. And again, that wasn't like an overnight thing. It was like, literally, I created two tabs and I said, this is my current schedule. And then this is my ideal schedule. So practically for me, like that looks like um, deep work in the mornings, not usually nine to 1230 ish, you know, assuming kiddo's not sick or something, but just general framework, nine to 1230. And I, um, grab a daily hike at one, uh, because I feel like there's power when you break up your days like that. And especially as creators, when we're so much in our head trying to think about stuff, I think there's just something about being out in nature. So unless it's like something really like dire, like a blizzard or something, I'm getting out. We have a great park, which is like four minutes away. Um, there's a, I get about a two and a half mile loop in for about 45 minutes. Um, I come back, I take a quick shower, a power nap. Um, so I grab, a. am <laughs> my partner is like, you you have the habits of like a 90 year old <laughs> like you're 41 and uh but i don't know I, I grab a daily nap but part of it is i notice like it helps keep my anxiety at bay you know the combo of the exercise plus the rest so how do you, you define the 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 walk and the hike but how do you define power nap uh 25 minutes okay yeah uh so it's usually i mean i can fall asleep now pretty quick but but yeah, 25 minutes is what I usually do. Falling asleep within five? I can fall, yeah. I can fall within five. Cool. The reason I ask is because the book Time, I think, is a pretty good book. And I had read that and it talks about the different styles of naps. And uh, I, I think that that's uh, an interesting thing because you know some, some people power nap might be three hours and they're waking up drooling and it's going to be pretty hard to get back to start your day. And you hear all these different opinions of, oh, I can't nap because insert reason, right? But uh, so that's why I was curious. Well, it's funny, the the napping thing was, so when we had come to the US, we, my parents often sent us um, back to India in the summers, and my grandfather was like very regimented, and he was like, you guys are napping, because it's like two boys, <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, we're, not, we're taking naps, so he'd be like, go go lay down over there, so I just like kind of picked it up, but um, yeah, that's it, and then uh, in the the last hour and a half to two hours a day is what I call learn like sacred learning time. And so a lot of times it's me learning about the stuff that I'm doing. So currently it's like, you know, I've got a day focused on YouTube, a day fo focused on podcasting, a day focused on LinkedIn, and a day focused on courses. So scheduling obviously is a big part of it. Is there anything else beyond scheduling as well? Yeah. So, I mean, there's like a lot of stuff with like nutrition, but like, I don't know, I still feel like I'm figuring out the nutrition part of it, which is, but generally I do like a 16, eight intermittent fasting kind of schedule, uh, at least on the weekdays, weekends, I tend to, you know, also eat breakfast, but yeah, I would say that's kind of the biggest thing. And then the other thing is I try to really, so on my hikes, I do a dual thing, which is I realized, I don't know, maybe this has taken me <laughs> 40 years to realize this, but I don't necessarily need like a number of friends. I'd rather have a couple of friends and have really deep quality relationships with. And so oftentimes on those hikes, I'm actually just catching up with them doing like a 45 minute chat. And that's been wonderful because it allows me, I get the physical exercise, but like at a relational level, that feels just so, you know, it just feels really enriching. And I say all of this and I am, you know, this is a very like sort of neurotypical way of looking at it, right? I mean, I'm I'm an HSP, but like for someone, you know, that struggles with ADHD or something, I understand like that kind of a regimented schedule is extremely challenging, you know? So I wanted to acknowledge that too, because, you know, like in, in our mastermind, you know, we have several of my colleagues that are 
neurodivergent and it's like really opening my eyes to the assumptions that I make, you know, even what I share. I just interviewed someone whose online business was, he's pivoting away from it a bit right now. So it's not like I'm really plugging it for him. I don't think, uh, and it may not exist by the time this comes out, or maybe it will, because I think it's a pretty cool brand, but it's called the Hogwarts for dyslexia and ADHD. And he's diagnosed with both and has really, you know, worked. I don't know if the right word is struggled, maybe struggled, but gone through challenges to become similar to you and I, a creator and a parent and, you know, juggling life. And so he created basically an online school to help other people doing that. So that's, that's been pretty front of mind for me as well recently. Uh, and, and for me, I am, I don't have an ADHD diagnosis. As I mentioned, my struggles in terms of on paper classical diagnoses were around the panic and anxiety, but I certainly have a lot of similar overlapping, I don't know if symptoms is the right word, but you know traits that uh, I always wonder about that. And you see a lot of people getting diagnosed as adults and these sorts of things, but I really feel like and I wouldn't say this is cliche because I don't hear too many people talk about it, but I've been saying it in job interviews for 20 years or any time that people have asked me about education, lesson planning, curriculum, parent advice, whatever it is. So the challenge is that for every one of us beyond our diagnoses, the answers always scale as much as DNA does. And what I mean by that is that there's always one answer. So if you're asking me about this student who's struggling with behavior, they keep, you know, not wanting to do work, putting their head down, pulling their hoodie up, like, and, and you can't engage them or, you know, another one who just can't leave the gang life because because, because, because like we have to go and meet that actual person and do some learning about them, which I suppose is the whole art of people who do it well, sitting on the couch as a psychologist and that kind of thing. But for me, it's just, it always becomes kind of that really individual answer. And when it comes to sitting on the couch, I know that that's uh Part of your brand is the idea of selling the couch and starting that whole blog. So when you made the pivot from, I don't want to say just going to work, because I think for nine to fivers, I, I hate to take away from that when we're talking about becoming creators and entrepreneurs. However, instead of only going to the nine to five and being a psychologist, why did you make the pivot to becoming a business owner? Yeah. And so the, the pivot was, you know, I, I call it my five-year pivot, right? Like, so I, I didn't do this overnight. Selling the couch was very much a side gig until the pandemic when I was down to one day of clinical work, just doing testing and assessment at a community mental health agency. And um, yeah, so why did it become uh, a part of my life? Uh, I don't know. I just felt like, so probably a couple of things. One is I felt like there was something challenging about online business uh and the thought of like not trading time for income which is what you know i, I imagine you were taught what i was taught right uh that that felt really challenging i loved the thought of being at sort of the forefront of education and how we're thinking about work and yeah the purpose of work and how do we take like very specific expertise and you know for me Again, just like an example, I used to do like bariatric uh, surgery, like psyche valves, right? So any person that's doing a bariatric surgery or considering bariatric surgery has to do go through a psyche valve because there's like a high comorbidity with eating disorders, any of that kind of stuff, right? And there's also depression, anxiety, all of that stuff. So just a screening for that. And so I don't know, there was, I remember like, and I, I haven't developed this course, but I remember like sitting there doing these assessments and feeling like I was having the same conversation, right? And the same information, I was sharing it over and over. And so something did peak in me where I was like, you know what, I wonder if there's a way to like, and I didn't have the word scale, but you know, now I use it, but scale this information. And then there was also a part of me that was like, you know what, there may be people that never step into a therapy room that need help, you know, and how do you sort of serve them? Um, so all of those things kind of converge. And then, I mean, the real kind of you know, we are made up of like sort of all of us like these seminal events, right? And I had an old supervisor who was, and this is a pretty wild story, but who was uh, the dean of a college turned FBI special agent turned psychologist. And she was doing, um, she was working at the, the counseling center, was my supervisor, was doing therapy, but on the weekends was also a sports psychologist. So was doing sports psychology with like amateur and PGA golfers. 
on, you know, like mindset when they're putting and all of this stuff. Right. And she told me like, Mel, you have to see the training that you have as a skill set that can be deployed in other realms besides what you think a psychologist is supposed to do. So this was advice that was given to me in 2009, 2010. As with advice, you know, when we get good advice, like most of us, at least for me, I didn't listen. So I just sat with it. And uh, but then, you know, in 2015, I was working at a group private practice and we live in Philadelphia. And uh, there was a nor'easter that came up here in the northeast, ended up dumping about 30 inches of snow. We didn't have all the telehealth capabilities back then like we do now. So there were down power lines, there were outages everywhere. I mean, there were like sheets of ice everywhere. So I ended up having to cancel about 20 fee-for-service clients that week. And we were saving up for the down payment on our first house. And I realized either I was going to have to go to traditional W-2 employment, which didn't seem appealing, um, or I was going to continue down this path, or I had to try something differently. And that is where the idea came from. For me to start my podcast, my own online course, where I teach therapists how to podcast. And then, yeah, so that's the, the gist of it. I mean, I think the biggest shift has been like thinking instead of like, how do I serve one-to-one? It's like, how do I serve one-to-many? Because so many of us are doing this and I reach out to guests through online, social media, on the internet, right? The fastest growing and expanding industry still is the internet right now. And that includes so many different topics. But naturally, so many of us are doing this. And it has kind of, it's not that I started my show being like, having a nickname of become your own boss or something to that effect, right? The name of the show is just keep learning. It's around growth mindset. But the reason I started it was because I was working in a jail for youth as well as a school for teen moms. And in both of those cases, again, like I referenced the mental health hospital, youth just did not fit into regular school. In both those cases, they're probably not going back to regular school ever, but they all wanted to start blogs or podcasts or YouTube channels. Like this was where their natural abilities, their interests and all these things lie. But that's very hard for someone who's, and and it's sad to say, because you mentioned privilege earlier, myself as well, in all of their cases, they're struggling with things like poverty. You know, uh, they've maybe never even eaten well in their life. Now they have a baby. They're also facing criminal charges in another case, like all these other struggles. And so trying to make figuring out that journey a little bit easier for them was the genesis of this show, because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So I have to go out and interview someone who's started a business in the topics that they're interested in. And naturally, it's become this show that is really on that topic as online creators who are also lifelong learners. All this to say, for those people who are wanting to start out, but maybe don't have the background yet, what are things that you feel like if you shared would help maybe shave some time off of that learning journey? Yeah, so I think a couple of things. So one is like, don't put the pressure to go full-time on this uh, initially. Like it is perfectly okay and reasonable to have this be like a hobby that you do for an extended season. I mean, as I shared, it was like literally just like, could you not like literally was breaking down, removing one hour after, you know, one hour after another, like as, you know, I started making more, more income just because like, and maybe it's part of it's like the, my, like if we were in mindset where, you know, I got to be, it's like super conscious with money on everything. But uh, so that'd be one thing. And then two, find people that are going and doing what you want to do right? So it could be somebody local, it could be a YouTube channel, right? Whatever it is. And this is just sounds like really, I hope it doesn't come across as like shallow advice. But like, I think now, as I get older, I realize how important it is to have mentors, but not just mentors that are teaching a skill set, but mentors who are living with the values and the life that you want to live. You know, I mean, like practically for us, right? As parents, we can't do the hustle and grind 24-7 work weekend. Like, no, we've got kid, sick kids. We got to pick up. We got to drop offs. Like, there's stuff like that. It's just, so I would rather find mentors like that that are sort of navigating that. 
The thing that helps me with that, although like anything, it's like I can tell the positive, helpful advice. And there are times that I still struggle because I'll look at another creator really crushing it with their podcast or what have you. But the thing that pretty much helps 90% of the time for me is just to focus on the you versus you mentality. But again, not pushing myself too hard because I certainly used to, you know, pull all nighters to create something or whatever, because that was the schedule that I set for myself and recognizing that I made all of this up, you know, and I mean, just really appreciating as kind of woo-woo-y that it sounds that like all of this doesn't matter at some point relatively soon, you know, and it's interesting for me. I, I create with this painting behind me. A lot of the times I have kind of two little studios I use, but my dad made this painting and it has both of my younger brother's ashes in it. Um, they died at 32 and 34 years old. And uh, the background of my phone is their tombstone where they're both on the same grave and it's that and then being a parent and i know you've mentioned i've heard you mention before that your daughter was born premature same as ours and i think they were pretty much the exact same birth weight if i remember you anyway she was born in in our case three pounds and you know spent a few months in the hospital and those kinds of things and all of this stuff just really does put it into perspective the fun thing for the youth that I work with is they have that perspective. They've literally had their house being shot at, or they've had to raise their siblings when they were only 13 years old themselves. And all of these kind of wild stories or were homeless. And it's, it's kind of neat because it gives them that perspective very young. It's just, can they get through that adversity to then be successful? And I feel like one of the things that they really do struggle with in a practical way is figuring out sort of those real world pieces of like, how do I make money doing this? And there's a million different ways. That's the good news. The tough news is a lot of people kind of hide that information. So when you mentioned that you were taking hours off of your blocks, once you were able to, what were some of those first parts of your journey where you're like, oh, I can actually make money doing this? My recommendation, or at least what's worked for me is don't start with like a product, like a digital product initially. So don't don't go directly into online courses. So either do one of two things. So either do like one-on-one coaching or do some sort of like a, I think the term is like a productized service, right? Like if you are really good at YouTube editing, right? Like offer that as a service. Yeah, I heard a great, uh, I wrote it down for our chat. So I'm going to just like refer to it because I heard a great quote from Ali Abdal recently. And he said, you know, get going, get good, get smart, you know, and that's sort of the three stages of I mean, he he says it for like YouTube growth, but I think it's the stage of entrepreneurship as well. So you learn the most when you're actually in the arena, right? And what's the easiest way to get in the arena if you're still figuring stuff out? I mean, I would say like either do one-on-one or some sort of like productized service. And then for you, that became courses and productizing things a little bit more. So when you referenced mastermind, what does that look like for you now? Is that a membership? Is it how, what's the uh, the business model for you now? Even just to take a step back, so I started with one on one consults because when I launched my podcast, colleagues were reaching out and they were like, "Mel, how did you do this?" And I was like, "Oh, I wonder if this seems like..." And you know, this just I I know you probably resonate with this, but like I've part of this journey has been working through a lot of money stuff for me, you know, and this intersection of money and self worth. So. You know, I I charged two hundred dollars an hour, right? Which was about what I was making like four hundred dollars in eval, and the evals were would take me about four hours to write, so I was making about a hundred dollars, right? Which is a lot of money. But I was like, I want to see if I can double that. So I started with the you know one on one consults, and then the folks I did the consults with, I threw this idea of an online course, and if they would be beta testers, and then I I kind of went from there. So then the online course became a podcasting course for therapists. I learned a lot. It's done unbelievably well. We've had 273 students go through it. Uh, We just passed 316,000 in revenue off of that course. So I just thought, you know, there's there's some potential there. And and that hasn't been like a hockey stick up growth. It's been a lot of like this. But the idea for the mastermind came because I realized, well, so a couple of things. When the pandemic hit, I think a lot of therapists were so slammed and so busy. And they were dealing with their own pandemic trauma while hearing story after story. And I think a lot of therapists started asking, like, how do I shift and start to see this as a skill set? And so I knew that I could tell like online courses were on the radar 
I got very lucky again because I didn't connect the dots, but I had been creating a course and been growing a course. I had that sort of credibility built in. I think about this a lot, which is like stacking skills, like doing the thing, teaching the thing, doing the thing, teaching the thing. So the mastermind is where that came from. It's um, and that itself has been a three, four year journey. I started at ninety seven dollars a month or $9.97 a year because I was just so scared no one would buy. Um, had some wonderful colleagues that went through it. Um, I also had colleagues that, you know, dropped out and like disappeared. And I was learned a lot from that. And now we've upped it to $7.50 a month. Yeah, so it went to, I think, $2.97 maybe, then $4.97, and then $7.50 a month it requires a one-year commitment. Um I've been like sitting a lot with like, what is my enough number? You know, so I, you know, I literally ran our numbers and I was like, okay, this is, you know, with my partners, again, the privilege of this, right? Like my, with my partner's salary, plus what, you know, I sort of bring in, I need about 12 to 13 members to be profitable and enough, right? And 35 would be like the ultimate aim, which I think would be 26,250 a month. Um, but then, you know, in revenue, so I follow profit first. So I want to have about 30 to 40% of that expenses. So 15% taxes. So I'd be paying myself 40 to 50% of that. I think it's really neat when people share the behind the scenes of revenue. It's something that I've thought about doing in terms of building in public. Although I feel like I would maybe regret it in the future, not because it grows and grows and then people are like hitting you up for money or things like that. But just in general, again, I think it can slightly become a distraction from what I want my, I guess, theme to be of what I'm creating. So I, I toy with that idea. I've also not formally sold things. <laughs> so there's that too, where it's like, well, everything right now is just going out, which would be kind of interesting to show people. But uh, for me, again, it's just a distraction. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hear you on this. And this is like a tension that I, I navigate a lot. And also because it's weird because I'm traditionally like a private person. <laughs> and it feels really weird to show numbers. And then I, I struggled with it. I was like, I was just like some weird flex. But then I started thinking about like videos that I've watched too, where like once I felt like there was, I felt a connection to that person when they were sharing stuff, I didn't see it as a flex. I saw it as like them trying to be just genuinely helpful and helping me avoid like mistakes. And so that's sort of the perspective that I've taken. Um, the thing I wanted to share is, so right now we were right in that we just launched over the weekend. So we have seven of our existing members who are continuing we um one of our members that i've had a call with is confirmed so we have eight members and then i've done uh, i've done 10 more calls uh i'm waiting to hear back and, and the reason i share that is because i'm not aiming actually for 20, uh, 35 now um i put a cap of max 25 this time and the reason is because i talked to two friends recently so one friend is an executive coach Another friend runs a seven-figure web design agency. And with the friend that runs the seven-figure agency, I asked them, and they went from like 200 to 400 to I think like a mil and then to, uh, over a mil a year. I asked them, you know, like, do you regret like that kind of money, right? Because money changes people, right? And he's like, no, like it's, it is good. He said the biggest thing they regretted was that they grew too fast because it compromised their health. And they had a number of health issues because again, in the online space, we talk about revenue, right? But we don't talk about the compromises. There were some like immune issues and you know all of this stuff. So what they decided to do was they called it a 15% rule, which is they say year, year, year over year, we will not grow more than 15%. And I was like, oh, that's really smart. So that's where I set my goal of 20, max 25 this time, because that would be around around that 15% goal. And the executive coach friend, they said, Mel, you have to remember in all business, there are periods of growth, and then there needs to be seasons of step as like stabilization of that growth. So you can't just grow, 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 because like you have to make sure that you give your systems times to catch up. You give You have to give your body time to catch up and all of that. And I was like, oh, that just seems so much more of a sustainable way to build 
I'm okay with that for sure. It really makes sense. It's a really special thing to share because it's a, a high IQ level of patience, which is definitely something that's hard to appreciate when you're starting out. And again, you're like, okay, well, that's fine, but I need to get to 100% first. And then from then I can go year over year at, at a clip of, of 15. I, I know we're going to have to wrap very soon. I have a couple theme questions I like to ask. Uh, we'll definitely have to run it back in the future because well, I have a hundred questions that I would like to ask and we don't have time for them. Um, but, you know, kind of going deeper into a few of these topics, especially being a girl dad, you know, it's something I thought we definitely would have been chatting about today. There's so much to that as much as it's a buzzword, you know, on the internet, girl dad, I think there's a lot of really, really helpful stuff. So we'll, we'll definitely have to do this again. One thing that I wanted to ask before the theme questions though, was you referenced a colleague of yours who was teaching sports psychology on the weekends as part of her skill set that she was able to connect to scaling as we put it which made me think of something. I often, almost every day, have to stop myself from starting a newsletter on the psychology of golf because it's just a really big interest of mine, but as are a million things. I also think that it would do really well in the marketplace. So, and it would simplify things. I could just, just write and publish and write and publish. And it would really, really simplify things. But the reason I say I have to stop myself is because this show is important to me and it needs to prioritize and have that one thing. But I do have that brain that thinks of a million different ideas. Like if someone couldn't think of a business to start, that'd be good for me to hop on a call with them and be like, here's a thousand that you could start. So I'm sure you have some ideas though. So if you were to let the horse of your brain run wild, what are some other ideas that you're not starting? Oh man, that is a great question. Um, I've wanted to do like retreats for a long time. I've wanted to write a book for a long time. That will happen. It's just I'm pausing it because I, again, my plate is sort of full. I'm really into landscape photography. That's cool. Yeah. So I would love to do like, you know, trips to exotic locations and let's come, let's photograph this waterfall or, you know. Yeah, I think those would probably be the biggest ones. That's awesome. I, I appreciate you sharing. I, I've often, one of my ideas is doing a podcast where this is all we do for an hour is talk about ideation because we're a lot of us, that's another thing that's common is that we have so many cool ideas that just talking them out, even if they go nowhere. Um, like I know James Altisher publishes his idea sex list. I think every day he'll share ideas that he has, 10 ideas as part of his practice. To just do that every day as a podcast, you're just coming up with ideas and talking about them. I always thought would be kind of neat. Uh, anyways, when you mentioned the book quickly, me too. And it's funny because I always thought that I didn't want to write a book because I don't like how people write a book as a business card, so to speak, as like lead gen, top of the funnel idea that I'm going to write this book, then people are going to know me for this. And so I avoided it. But then I fell into learning from some really good online writers who I find have a perfect balance. They'll do like the really big, meaningful, deep dive. They're not using AI. They're actually writing it and it takes maybe years to create, but then they'll also write mini books that are very helpful in the more of the how-to space. And so for me, I'm actually working on two. And it's funny because I've wanted to make books for 20 years, but I, I will. There's no reason now like that, that I'll create these two books on podcasting and they'll be out by the fall, which has kind of been a nice freeing thing, you know? Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, I think the thing is, the biggest thing we can do is give our gifts and share our gifts with the world, you know, and there's a great quote that I often think about, which is, you know, what may be ordinary to you, Justin, is like extraordinary or even life changing to someone else, you know, and just owning that. And, and people like us, I feel like we're grounded enough, right, in who we are, like, I don't know, I, I had that same fear you did, which is like, I would become this like, pompous, like a hole, like, you know, whatever, right, you know, a lot of people far wiser than I have given me that exact advice on this very show. And I feel like I'm getting better at taking it, but that in itself is a journey of learning. I want to be respectful of your time. So just to do these like rapid fire theme questions very quickly. And then, like I said, we'll have to run it back. But the first one is something that you yourself are learning right now that may or may not surprise people. Mm, how to make hummus. <laughs> cool. Cooking. I love this question. That's such a fun one. <laughs> And one piece of advice, if you were to only be able to leave one piece of advice for the next generation, I know being a girl dad, this would be close to your heart. What's one piece of advice that you would leave? Um, you're never going to regret the times that you have with your kiddos when they're young. 
And if you were to grab the mic, you're a podcaster, so you often have the microphone anyways. You asked me a question, what would it be? What lights you up? Besides seeing my kids figure something out that they really wanted to learn, found challenging and overcome, like this whole thesis of just keep learning, but seeing my kids do it would definitely be that at, at first. And then second to that, I would say creating this podcast, but to elaborate a little bit more is when sort of the triangle between you sharing a lot of this incredible information and knowledge and wisdom, and we've discussed these topics. Of course, I hear them, but that's so just back and forth that when an audience member takes something from this, whether they apply it or not, but it gives them a moment of learning and appreciating something that they learned and that they could apply to their life, that really lights me up uh, more than I can put into words, but I tried. <laughs> uh, and the, the final thing is if people want to go support or learn more about your work, where and maybe why should they go? Yeah. So um, I share my journey as a girl dad, as a psychologist making this transition to online creator and podcaster and course creator. Um, these days I'm primarily writing on LinkedIn and uh, that's probably the best way to connect awesome. with me. Well, as I said at the top, I know taking an hour out of your day to make something with somewhat of a stranger on the internet takes a uh, sacrifice to use a word. And so I wanna say thank you and I really appreciate it and definitely look forward to doing it again. Thank you, Justin. And uh, I really am just so grateful you reached out and uh, and look forward to round two when that happens. 100%. Have a great day. Awesome. JKL listeners, thank you so much for being here. I believe greatly in having the courage to speak our own goals out into the universe. And one of my challenging goals, it's been such a grind from the beginning as well, but it's amazing to keep going, is to help millions of people achieve their own dreams with this show. So please do continue to pass it along. Thank you so much to today's guest, Mel. He's built an incredibly powerful business and continues to show us how we can be a good person along the way. He also shows us that with solid systems, we can maintain our mental health along the entire journey too. As always, we love getting your DMs and comments about the show. If you have any input on guests or topics, please don't be shy, just let us know. Until the next episode, all the best, and remember, just keep learning. You're one step closer to making your big dreams come true but there's plenty more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you know anyone who might love the show, send them a link. We'll see you next time on Just Keep Learning with Justin at Just Tries.